Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am your host, Jay Williams, and joining me today is Jeff Clossy. Hi Jay, how's it going? Welcome back. Oh my gosh, I wish this was on video. You could not have had a less expressive voice when you said that. Like there was I was so... waiting for you to say more. That was just like abrupt. Yeah, well, I'm trying to be more professional. That's awesome. I'm turning over New Leaf. It's my New Year's resolution in August. It's good to have you back. Yeah, it's great to be back. So uh, while I was away, lots of stuff happened. And you were just telling me, but I feel like it is it is podcast worthy that you are now, you have your eyes set on a new pet. Oh, yeah. I was telling Jay that this weekend... I met some new friends at a wedding and they were describing owning pigs as pets. Which is now, not pi- that abnormal. I've seen, it's not. I've seen that. Yeah. No. And, but picture like, where do you see these pigs living and dwelling, right? Yeah. In well, my bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> or right. something like that, right? right? Uh, this, this man was saying, if you want to get pigs, you need to put them in the woods and then have a big fence around the woods and they will roam around the woods and you can go hiking and they'll they'll just come and say hi. And I thought, that actually sounds pretty amazing. I've never heard of that though. It, have you? No, uh, but it, because I asked you why, why in the woods and, yeah. why, and why with the fence? And you said, yeah, because they're contained, but if they just roam around, then they're evidently happy and then they come up and greet you and it's like, Almost, I mean, I have heard from people who have had pigs that they're a lot like dogs. Yeah, friendly. Yeah, friendly and loyal and smart. And, um, but the idea, <laughs> I know, I just, I love the idea. So now I want to make this happen. The hardest part about that would be the fence. It would. And how much land you know, he described, you know, you'll walk out and you'll watch them and they're digging and they're having a blast. Apparently they love it, which makes well, sense I mean, better than just do. being in a little pen in the yard or something. Yeah, I mean, well, it's funny where my life is now compared to where it used to be. Like, if I, when I lived in Colorado, if you would have told me the same story, I would have thought the biggest problem is finding woods. Yeah, that's but not now, a problem. But now, we're like, yeah, I got, I got the woods. I just need, I need a fence around it and a pig. And I'm kind of excited about this idea. We're going to make it happen. Yeah, that's great. Stay tuned for future updates. Right. <laughs> So this added actually to your, you had a big couple of weeks. You, uh, you preached back to back Sundays, did the wedding on Saturday in between the two. And you were, you were the only staff pastor here for the whole week in between as Robbie was off gallivanting in Liberia and I was on vacation. Yeah. So it was a good couple of weeks. It really was like, I enjoyed being here and we had all kinds of awesome meetings in the church and I thought the Sundays were wonderful. I really loved this last Sunday with the baptism. Isn't that great? Oh my. I know. It was amazing. I, this, this last Sunday, I mean, baptisms are just always amazing and so exciting. But when you have an 80 year old who says like, I, I need to follow Jesus in this, I'm, it just is almost more than I can handle. Yeah, I was singing the second song and just starting to cry because I could feel all of the awesomeness of everything that was going on and thinking about communion and then also thinking, all right, you, you got to pull it together. You got to preach here in a couple <laughs> minutes. But yeah, I was this the this last Sunday especially was really a blessing to my own soul to, to hear the testimonies of baptism. And I think to get to take communion the way we've been taking it, to be able to look at each other at, right after that. Yeah, was super powerful as well. I think it was, and the and the testimonies that were shared. I mean, you had 
you know, Sherry, who has had all kinds of horrible things happen in her life and just, which really does relate to your message, which we'll, we can, we'll talk about that and the whole giving thanks in all circumstances and, and trusting God in the midst of it. But I love that, that Sherry had like written something out and it was this whole story and it came full circle to like glorifying Christ and her love for Jesus and her trust in him. And then Renee, who is very like direct and, you know, she's, uh, she's military in all the ways. Like she is actually military. And then like, but her personality is, and I just love like her testimony, which is like 10 seconds long of, I want to follow Jesus. And, and they were both so powerful and were received with such power. Um, it was just such a great example of how it is the spirit that gives power to our words and not, not the actual words. Like we, we, we worry so much about the actual words that we're going to say. But when Paul talks about preaching with conviction, like what he, what he um, uses he, is he says like, you saw the conviction that I, like you, you saw this was my whole life and my intensity about this. It wasn't like, Hey, remember, remember point three of this sermon, you know, and the, and the logic behind that, it was like, no, this is, this is true. And you see it in my life that this has changed me. And yeah, so good. It's when words, you can feel what's behind words Yeah, when the spirit's doing that, he's illumining them and, and making them powerful. And yeah. both of those testimonies were like that on Sunday. Yeah. It was amazing. They were both super powerful. It was mm-hmm. such a great, great Sunday. And, and the, the sermon was good too, Jeff. Hey, thanks. You know, like, this, thanks. This, <laughs> I, here's what I think is great about, by the way, side note, if this podcast might change over time because um, it used to be that after the service, what people talked about most was the sermon. Mm. And now what I'm finding is people are talking most about the baptisms and about communion. That's what I get more feedback on. People still give some feedback on the sermon, but it is delightful to me. It is because we are not just together to hear a sermon. No. And I love that that's happening. Yeah, it's really neat. But that, you know, it doesn't mean we still preach the word. Like, it is very important. It is not lowering the importance of that. We're just trying to raise the importance of some of these other things. And, you know, so in your sermon, so we're going to still talk about that, which I think was great. You had the unique opportunity to, you preached back-to-back weeks where you got to talk about the, the, um, the historical setting of what happened in Thessalonica and how the church started. And then you got to talk about the letters that Paul wrote to that church, you know, years later. And, um, so I'm just curious, like, as you did that, Robbie and I have both gotten to have that opportunity to do that. And this was your opportunity to do that. What was, what was striking to you in preparing those two sermons? Like what just, Hmm. What stood out? What was unique about it? Like, had you ever done that before where you preach? I hadn't preached it. I have like just in Bible study done that, Mm -hmm. you know, especially when you're studying the epistles, a lot of times you can find the section in Acts that, you know, Paul was at that place that you're studying, but I hadn't preached that before. I found it really powerful. I think especially it, it, to me, looking at it like we did two weeks in a row shows these connections and the depth of what's going on. Because the the historical account is actually only like nine verses long in Acts. Right. It's really, it's succinct. And then you do see that the opposition in Thessalonica continued. It, it, they went to the Bereans as well. They, they were chasing Paul around essentially. But really the ministry to the Thessalon- Thessalonians in Acts is really brief. 
primarily talking about what happened with Paul. And what I think is so beautiful is you have these letters then, and in these letters, we I didn't have time to even go into this part, but there is a a depth of love that Paul has for for these people that is astounding. It's like a it's a parental fatherly love that he has, this affection and his concern for them is just there and, and overflowing. He's just over and over again talks like that to them. And and you see why. Yeah. You see why, because you see those nine verses, and you're like, well, yeah, no wonder you're speaking with such kind of fatherly protection and love and exhortation and all those things because of what he's been through. With yes. Them. Yes. And I love that you have the him reporting in them about sending Timothy and how Timothy came back and what Timothy said. I just love it. You just, you can get this picture. And I think the fact that these letters um, were written potentially in pretty quick succession because of his concern for them, like not right. wanting it to be too long. Right. Um, yeah. To me, it just fills out this picture. And, you know, we believe that these things really happened. And I made that point the first week. It was, a, you know, a, a simple point, but these are real people in yes. a real place at a real time. And I think when you have letters and then associated with an historical account, it just underscores the, the realness of it. These are real people going through this. Yeah, and it adds so much to the validity. I know it's it's one of the things that people struggle with in when they're newer in the faith or when they're seeking is how can you trust the Bible? And my my number one point is always like, well, the question is about the resurrection. Like if if this Jesus is who he says he is, and if the word is what he says it is, well then I the least of my concerns is, you know, which books got included or any of that stuff. Like it's that's 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 a small concern if I believe that guy came out of that tomb and rose from the dead. Like I'm pretty yes. sure he can handle um dealing with making sure that his word is kept. Um but on top of that, you have still gifts of of just why it makes sense that this is actually what happened because we we've, we've talked before about how the heroes of scripture are very flawed how it does not have the markings at all of mythology um it has the markings of like actual historical kind of document and uh, especially the book of acts um but also what lends itself is that you realize, I mean, this is a small point, but it's something that maybe people don't realize. Paul didn't write Acts mm-hmm. and Paul didn't read Acts. Like Paul wouldn't have no, like he, he wouldn't, I mean, he probably he knew that Luke was keeping account or whatever, like that there, there may have been those kinds of things, but it's not like he wrote first and second Thessalonians. And so then how those things line up and how it's, it's just this really amazing thing where, um, you know, it's like if I told the story about how you interacted with a group of people and then we also got to read your letters to that group of people and then how they line up and feed off of each other, it's it all lends itself to like, well, this this actually happened. These are real people in a real time and place dealing with real issues. Paul has real concerns. And it's just it's it's really incredible that we have this. It is. And it's a to me, it is a testament to the the spirit of God at work that he, that Paul left in this chaos and that the group of people who believed what Paul proclaimed in the gospel, as they believed it as the word of God, they weren't just scattered and amounted to nothing. They kept going. Yes. And I think that to me is a miracle because that shouldn't have happened. It should have just fizzled out and been nothing when he left, but it wasn't. It kept going. And even where he starts First Thessalonians, and the key verse from Sunday, 
about them turning from idols is interesting because that would have been primarily uh, Gentile people, not Jewish people who were turning from these idols, right? Because the Jews would not have been known for worshiping Zeus or Aphrodite. That would have been Gentiles. And to me, it's interesting that you then get even a, you don't hear that part in Luke. It, Luke doesn't record that in Acts about all these Gentiles. Mm-hmm. He talks about being in the synagogue. Right. But obviously Paul's ministry was beyond there. So right. maybe during the week then he's in the marketplace talking with people as he works. And he describes that as well. It's just really rich. So I enjoyed it. And I hope it was a blessing to people to hear how these things are all connected in a living way. Right. And that, that expansion, it's neat to be able to see well, what happens. Because we have other parts of scripture where we don't know what happens. Like one of the things that popped in my mind was the blind man in John 9. What happens to him? He gets healed. You know, he testifies that. But what what happens then? And we don't know. There's so many people. There's so many characters in Scripture. People that enter into the ministry of Jesus and that are just they pop in and they're out. And for all we know, they were part of the first church. For all we know, that they they turned away. We don't know if they died a week later. Like we don't know anything. And so, um, and of some of these, some of them we do. Some of them we, some of them we know, and some of them we think. Like we think, like oh, I think this is Joseph of Arimathea. We think this is the same guy, or we think, and that makes for a neat story. But in, I just don't want to take for granted what we have in the New Testament with the Book of Acts. So much of the New Testament, it, it, the New Testament is so interrelated and interdependent. When you have the Gospels and then the the book of Acts kind of showing what happens when now they've been set loose, you know, turned loose on, on the world. And then, and then you have the, um, like then the later, like you have, it's kind of like, it's a little bit like watching a movie. Like if the book of Acts is a movie and then, you know, sometimes that in movies, at the end, it'll like go to each character and have a little bit of text of this person went on to graduate college and became, you know, invented this and this person did. And, you know, sometimes in historical pieces, it's what actually happened. Sometimes in fantasy you know, or fictional works, it'll be, you know, funny kind of things that happen. But in a sense, that's what you have. Acts is like this movie. And now with the letters, you can piece together of like, oh, okay, so what happened there? Now look how that progressed and what they're dealing with, you know, years down the road. And then Revelation is even farther down, like to be able to see like what happens, you know, second generation, third generation kind of stuff. And um, that's, it's it's just, I don't know, we're, we're spending a lot of time, really what we're doing is just marveling about the gift that the Bible is to us. And, it is. Yeah. And it's amazing that we have it. And we can read it and we can study it and we can dwell on it. And God uses it to change us like today. Even though we're learning about this church in the first century, it actually affects us today, how we live. It's amazing. It is. So here's some irony. And this goes into, so one of the key points that you talked about was how Paul was encouraging them, uh, exhorting them to turn from idols and to turn toward Christ. And a few weeks ago, I made the comment about how the Bible can be an idol for us. So now here we are. You're taught, you, do, you preach a sermon on turning from idols, and we're talking about how much we love the Bible and how what an incredible gift it is. How do those things, like, how do we make sure that we're loving, that we love the Bible as a gift and that we don't do what the Thessalonians were doing with other idols. Like, cause you talked about some idols are very obvious. Some are more subtle. Some are overtly antichrist. 
and some have the appearance of being Christian, yes, but are are not. And 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 I would say just as an interjection there, an idol that has the appearance of Christian is not any better than the idol that is clearly overtly anti-Christ. Like they are both idols and dangerous. So what do we do with like how do you how do you kind of where would you see that fitting in and like our our love for the Bible um without it being an idol. Well, to me, at least in my own heart, if the Bible becomes an end in itself, like the Bible's a goal or my desire is just to know mm. the Bible, mm. then I then I think I can be in danger of drifting into making the Bible something more than what it is. But if the Bible is like what we even read this last Sunday, the word of God. So this is actually God speaking. Then it's all about him. And the Bible is a vehicle that he's using to communicate to us. But ultimately, my it's it's pointing to him. Um, and it's interesting how that can be. It can become a thing of worship and a thing that's argued over and exalted and almost like um, a Christian way of metaphorically bowing down, you know, towards it. But I think if we can keep in mind that this is God's word, like breathed out by him, and it's alive in that way, it, it really helps combat this, the Bible as like the, the you know, fourth member of, a, of the Trinity, like adding to the Trinity or something. Right. I'm curious how yeah. you would react, well, no, respond to that Well, too. I've said a lot on this, and, but just you saying that, you have a way of very like boiling things down and, and succinctly saying what it takes me an hour to say. Um, but that right there of like I, I've mentioned how it's always pointing to him, but it, it is a it is a vehicle, it's a means of grace to be able to know him, to worship the true. You mentioned in your sermon, like anything that is not worshiping the Godhead, like the yes. or the Trinity, like the triune God is idolatry. Like yes. he is the only one that is worthy of our worship, not any of the things that are meant to lead us towards him. So whether you talk about the church or um, the Bible, or any of these things, like they are all meant to serve us in our worshiping Him. And like one of the illustrations I think about is that just came to my mind. Um, that's probably good for a sermon illustration. But the the eight people that are listening to this right now don't need to. They they can they'll be like oh, I heard it. Um, but my my grandmother journaled essentially has journaled every day of her life, and she is now 96, 96 years old. And she has a bookshelf full of journals and it's the most like a lot of the days are the most mundane things like went out to breakfast with friends, ordered eggs and toast. The bill was two sixty five. you know, that, that kind mm. of stuff where you're like, um, but it's funny how the most mundane details of the day, like 80 years later are fascinating. They are It's so fascinating to read about them going out West on a vacation in the fifties. And like what a, what a road trip looked like, what a camping trip looked like, what they bought, what they ate. You know, like you think of, you know, fried chicken was the classic picnic lunch because it could be eaten cold. Like that was the reason why you took it. And um, so anyway, the point being that those are cherished in, in my family. I desperately want as many of those journals as I can. When she goes to be with Jesus, I have unashamedly and made it very clear all I care about or I would I'll take any and all of the journals that you would give me. And as I've read through those, when I sit in her apartment and, and just kind of flip through them or whatever, what's so precious about them is that 
they're written by my grandmother and it gives me a glimpse into her life into her nature into her character into what she was going through it gives me a glimpse into like my mom like how my mom grew up it gave me glimpses into it gives me glimpses into the people that that I love the journal itself is like if it's if it's about a random person that I don't really care about it might be interesting but it's not like the the it's interest, which, which happens right with scholars who don't believe in Jesus, who find the Bible interesting. It's an ancient document that has driven a lot of history, world history, and has a lot of people have, have followed it, followed its teachings. And so it's fascinating even to non-Christians, but it is not living apart from the spirit. It is not its worth and its value and its power is only when it is meant when when it is serving its actual purpose, which is that we would commune you know, commune with God and know Him, and that that's that's the that's what makes it incredibly valuable. To remove that from it and to separate any of that now makes it a it's an ancient document. Right, it's an interesting book that records history, and if you like history, you'd like it. Right. But that's different. And or a religious text. I mean, I yeah. find there are other religious texts that I think are interesting. Yep. But it's it's not the Bible. No, and it and the love that when we say we love the word, it's again that that that's a great illustration with your grandmother's journals. It you love them because of her. We love the word because of who who wrote it to us and and who is behind it. You know, it's kind of actually, I mentioned on Sunday really briefly about that show alone where you have these survivalists and when they go into the wilderness by themselves, they can take 10 things with them. They pick the 10 things. And, um, in addition to those 10 things, they're given like radios and cameras and a first aid kit. And one thing that they all cherish a picture of their family. It doesn't count against their 10 things, but they all have it. And some of them don't ever look at it. Right. But some of them have it hanging in whatever shelter they make. None of us would think if they kiss that picture that they are in love with that picture. Mm. All of us would know they are in love with the people in the picture. And the way they treat that picture is because of those people. Right. And they, they would cherish that picture. They don't want it to burn. They, they love it. But they're not, they're not in love with them like that, the thing they're in love with what it represents and who it's about. And I think that's what the word needs to be for us. We do love right. it. We do cherish it, but we don't worship it. We don't, it, it, the word is important to us because, because of who it's about and because of who's behind it. What a, what a great illustration, because I would say that is unfortunately what, where we have fallen. Sometimes it would be the equivalent of seeing that person on alone and their family comes to greet them and they kind of like stiff arm the family and just because they want the picture. Yes. Which is a sense in what we do because, and, and if you think about that, not to go too deep down that road, but it would be like you could see somebody thinking like, well, I want, I want what's pictured here. Everyone's smiling. Well, the real flesh, flesh and blood family isn't always smiling. You know, you see those pictures. Sometimes I look back on vacation pictures and like, here we are all smiling for the selfie. And then I stop and think about what happened around that and remember like, oh, there was a meltdown right before that. <laughs> and I like got frustrated because one of the kids didn't want to be in the picture and all this stuff. But then we get and we smile. There's a side of us that does just want the picture 
because the picture is I can control the narrative there. It's it's frozen in time. It's not there's not all the dynamic scariness of what real flesh and blood relationship is. And I see that sometimes. I think that's one of the temptations of Bible idolatry is that we we say we're worshiping God, but we actually what we want is kind of a controlled snapshot of God because that feels less scary. It feels like more attainable. It feels more understandable, but you start moving into like the actual living God. Well, he is not, we can't ever fully understand him. He is not, you can't tame him. You cannot be in control of him. You can't control the narrative with him. Um, And so we just want to always be really cognizant. Now let's shift gears because you mentioned the, the alone, you know, the, your illustration of alone, which I thought was a great illustration of how, and I, I, at first I'd be, I'll be honest at first. I didn't know where you're going with it. At first I thought you were going to go with like, Hey, in our hardest moments, we all call out to something beyond ourselves, which would have also been a really good yeah. point Yes, that all these people who are trained in survival, who a lot of them are, they teach survival skills. They've been through all of that at the end of the day, when they're trying to catch a fish, they even understand they're not in control. Mm-hmm. They understand there's something they need help. Now, some of them credit Mother Nature, some of them credit fate, some of them yes. credit God. There's all these different things. So that was the that's where I thought you were going, but you didn't go there. Mm-mm. You went to when these things happen, they they spontaneously give thanks because they're grateful, and it reminded me. But then in the hard times, they're not they're not giving thanks, which is totally normal which is totally normal. And I love how you said that because I think this is really critical. I remember one time preaching a sermon where I said, Christians are weird. Mm. And I had somebody get really upset about that. Like afterwards, they're like, I don't like you saying that we are not, we are not weird. And I'm like, yes, we are. We believe that Jesus lived and died and was resurrected. And that is preparing, he's preparing a place for us. And then the way we are called to live is weird. According to what's called foolishness. We're called to love our enemies. We're called to turn the other cheek. We're called to like give without receiving anything back, like not expecting anything in return. And as you pointed out, Paul says, we're called to give thanks in all circumstances, which is a very abnormal thing to do. And I can almost hear Jesus saying like, so you give, like when he talks about loving your enemies, I could hear him saying that about giving thanks. Like, so you give thanks when you receive good things. Well, congratulations. Even the Gentiles do that. Yes. Yes. But like our calling is we give thanks because we know that everything, because we are worshiping, we're giving thanks because of who is giving this to us, not because of what is being given. Yeah. And I picked that, part- there's a lot you could have picked from that verse, the pray, pray without ceasing, right. rejoice always. But I think that that thankful heart is so related to what we're worshiping and loving and, in, and what we're going after. So my heart in some in some ways it's it's a discipline it's not always it's not always for me at least spontaneous to give thanks in a situation that is difficult that is not necessarily reflexive right but when i have the moment and i think i should give thanks right now i can give thanks and i do that i actually say thank you to god that totally changes how i experience that circumstance because i think in that moment when you give thanks for what's difficult you're actually worshiping you're saying, I trust you, Right. you know what's good, and you are my refuge, and you know this sin and suffering I'm walking through right now, and I know you know how to take care of that. 
and that's just an act of worship in that moment and it it does it actually does flip it on its head of how we can feel it like it's not just happening to us and we're just a victim in it we're actually very intentionally in it with god expecting that he's going to continue to be with us through it it's just a it's a totally different way of living than just experiencing it and bemoaning and and it affects our prayer life because sometimes prayer can just be about circumstances and we can pray about circumstances i think we ought to when we see a circumstance that we don't like or that's that's not just for example but often the most important thing isn't the circumstance it's our heart it's what's going on inside of us and that's always going to be related to what we're worshiping so how do we how do we do this where you cuz you made the point with um external circumstances that they do not determine our reaction they don't determine the way that we respond to god but that but you did it in a way that demonstrated but we're not saying that they don't matter yeah, they you know, do they matter don't, they matter significantly and so i hope i want to make sure people know you know your heart in that and you did communicate this but sometimes when people hear that they think like well then i guess it you know my cancer doesn't matter you know or or like you're just saying well you should just buck up and everything like whatever comes that's not the point the the point is that that God is bigger than all of those things he is worthy of being worshiped and he is sovereign over all of those things and so it's it's more of an empowering statement it's not a well, you should be grateful for what you do have. And it's actually like, no, even the hardest circumstances, what I can give thanks for is this bigger thing that he, who is who loves me and sees me as, as, and is here with me and that this is actually working something good in me. So, and I think there's a difference and I don't know if I'm articulating this well and I, maybe you can help me, but I think there's a difference. I think a lot of times what we think is we think that give thanks in all circumstances means being thankful for something in the midst of it. Yes. So for example, and, and, and this isn't wrong it completely, like this can be a good thing. So like if you are eating food that you don't really like, and then you think like, well, but I can give thanks that I am eating food that I have the means to buy. Like, so you go to a restaurant, you get a meal, you don't, you don't like it very much. There's a lot that you could say, well, I can be thankful for the fact that I have the means to even come out here and the, and the means, and, and, you know, I'm thankful that I'm with my family and I'm thankful that I like, am not hungry. I'm not going to bed hungry tonight. I may not have enjoyed that steak. It may have been overdone, but I, but I'm going to bed with my stomach filled. That's one way of giving thanks in the midst of those in all circumstances, but it's different and I think there's an even more radical way. It's like giving thanks for the bad meal, mm-hmm. giving thanks for the cancer. So like you could also give thanks in the midst of cancer. Like I'm thankful that I still have time with my family. I'm thankful that I still like am mentally sharp, you know, or I'm thankful that I like have like all those different things. I can, there are things I can be thankful for, but we tend to then say like the answer is to find things you can be thankful for. That is a good thing definitely do that but there's an even more radical way of giving thanks for even the thing that that seems horrible can you give can you help clarify what i just rambled and i like that a lot any examples of that well that that sort was definitely on my mind so i'm glad that you you went there i mean there's a difference between um so ultimately that second way you're describing 
if you can give thanks even for something horrible that that in itself there is nothing in it that is good <laughs> like you don't want it um like i you know jay i have family that that has health issues my mom and i and don't like it at all i pray that it would go away you know but if i can in that moment not just look for all the um kind of the sunny side of it you know look for the positive things that's not necessarily bad but even deeper like you said is to say yeah, but I know, God, that you are a God of love and my Father, who at great the greatest expense to yourself gave up your Son. And I know that in this, you are not passive, you are active. And this thing that I don't like and that's causing me deep pain is actually going to end up being something really good and beautiful that you're working right now. That is a just totally different way. And that's what I think he's getting at. That's the deeper give thanks. And that's related to this vertical worship with what's going on inside of your heart. And it certainly isn't. I mean, one way you could abuse that verse too is someone comes to you in tears and you basically say to them, don't you know you're supposed to be giving thanks? Cheer up. <laughs> right. That is like, no, the, the response to someone in tears is to cry with them, to weep with them in their pain and to encourage them with that the Lord is with them in the middle of their pain and he is not indifferent to it and he feels it too. He, he actually feels all of that. And we can be thankful with him in that, that he's working out something much bigger than this moment in our heart and in the world. Because what is the best thing for us on any given day? The best thing for any one of us is to enjoy him and love him and trust him more. That is the very best thing. There's nothing better to become more like him. That is the goal today and tomorrow and the next day to be with him. And all of these things that come into our life are part of what he's doing to purify us, to transform us, to work good in the midst of brokenness. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it's the, actually the most realistic way of living in the world because you can actually acknowledge things that are bad are really bad. Yeah. They are horrible. And I was feeling it as I was preaching on Sunday. I have all of these stories of my own suffering in my mind and then other people that we care about and we love in our church family who are going through really hard things. And so it's not a trite statement at all to just give thanks. It's a deep call that I think could bring actually joy in the midst of unbelievable pain. Yeah, that's so good. And, and like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a promise. It like is. It's, so we look at commandments in scripture. So that's a command, give thanks in all circumstances. But all commands are actually promises that you are able in the power of the spirit to do the thing that is commanded. So like if you imagined if, if you commanded me to go run a four minute mile, like I would, that would be a command that I would have no hope to attain. And I think a lot of times we read the Bible like that. We read the Bible like, well, I can't love my enemy. Like that's too, that's too hard. That would be like telling me to run a four minute mile. But when, if I, if I heard that command and I knew that when you command me to do, go run a four minute mile, you're also empowering me to do that. Well, now all of a sudden it kind of becomes exciting. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, so you're telling me if I go and if I obey you right now, like I can go run a four minute mile, like that's possible. Yes. In Christ, like, you know, not, not the actual four minute mile like this, <laughs> but the, um, but giving thanks in all circumstances uh, is something that the spirit says, no, I'm empowering you to do that, which is um, when Paul talks about rejoicing and suffering, it's not a, okay, well buck up, just, 
you know, make sure you're rejoicing, giving thanks. It's an empowering thing of saying, this is how radical this change in you is going to be. You will even rejoice in your sufferings because you'll be sharing the sufferings of Christ. It's a promise of what you are becoming, not a yoke and a burden to try to discipline yourself into or get yourself to be able to do. And so what that means is, um, like, when somebody is suffering, this is why like to go back and I like how you said it, like kind of the sunny side, you know, it's like sunny side theology or silver lining. Yes. That's really dangerous. So like, I want to get really practical. If you have a friend who's suffering, like it's one thing, hopefully this is being helpful for you, but we are always in contact with people who are suffering and they post, you know, may post it on Facebook, uh, maybe something that, you know, a person you're working with or a family member or whatever. But I want to encourage us to not do the silver lining stuff when you're trying to comfort somebody. It Because that's not actually what the promise is in Scripture. Those are actually separate things that you should be giving thanks for. So, you know, for example, um, you know, like I, oh gosh, I don't even want to give examples that are just, I've heard that are just, that are horrifying. Um, but you know, it's true. Like when my mom passed away, it is a true thing that my mom, my mom got to meet all of my children. So she met all of her grandchildren. She, I, she raised me. Like I didn't lose her when I was 16. Like other people do. Like those are all silver lining kind of things. Like Mm -hmm. why I am thankful for that, but that does not lessen the grief in that, in that moment. But giving thanks to God and lifting my eyes above the circumstances and seeing the one behind the circumstances allows me to give thanks, even in the midst of that, knowing like God was working so many good things in that and he will work even more. It's, it's lifting our eyes to him. So it isn't comforting. Like it wouldn't be comforting for somebody on, on my, at my mom's funeral to say, well, at least you got a lot of good years with her. Yeah. Like that's not, that's not comforting. And no. any of us who have struggled with things like, well, at least you have your, least you have your health, you know, or at least your kids are healthy or at least like whatever. Those are all good things. I'm thankful that my kids are healthy. I'm thankful that I have that. Like I, but that's not in that actual circumstance. It's actually a distraction from the circumstance. And that's how the world apart from the power of the spirit has to deal. They have no choice. The only option when dealing with that kind of circumstance is to distract yourself from that circumstance and say, well, at least it's not worse, or at least I have these other things that is not the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is we can walk through all those things, lifting our eyes to Christ. And for those of us who are offering comfort, a lot of times, a lot of times it means just acknowledging this is painful. And I'm so sorry that you're going through this. And then at some point, like lifting our eyes, be like, I, I'm so thankful that we can, we can cry to God together and trust him that he is going, he's going to do something with this. Like we can still give thanks that, like, for example, one of the clearest examples we use is at a funeral, every Christian funeral, we will talk about we mourn not as those who have no hope. Well, that's an example of this. They're still mourning and grieving, but it's different because I'm what what's encapsulated in that, that we, we don't mourn as those who have no hope is that we are giving thanks that we have that we worship a God who is in control of all these things. And if it's a believer that passes away in that circumstance, we're giving thanks that we will see them again. We're giving thanks that Jesus is going to restore all these things. We're giving thanks that he will renew all these things, that one day 
all of these griefs, these griefs will be turned into joy. Like those are all, those are the things that we need to, and that allows us to sympathize in the moment, grieve with people and not lessen the grief, not distract from the grief, which is another way of dismissing the grief. Like we, that's all of our human ways of dealing with it are dismissing, deflecting, distracting, minimizing, it, minimizing time. all of these different things. Cause we can't think of anything else to do, but what we need to be better equipped to do is to worship through it and to not have the answers to be able to sit with people and grieve. And then also like worshiping God and giving thanks. Amen to that. It's interesting how all the other ways are actually ways that um, idols can pop up that you just described. They are all ways of finding refuge and comfort in the midst of pain that is not in God. (laughs) Um, And it's not that those things can't be helpful. Like you said, there are silver linings in a lot of really hard situations. That's a great thing to remind yourself of. But again, that silver lining needs to then be a window and a vehicle into God, Mm -hmm. that that's him that gave you whatever the silver lining is, you know? But ultimately, like you said, it's through the pain, it's through the suffering. And that's where, as followers of Jesus, we have the cross as the example of this. This, There's nothing worse that could have happened than that God became a human and that human was murdered. Like, there is no worse evil. But through that horrible evil, we now have Good Friday. It's just amazing what God does with pain and suffering. He redeems it and he transforms it. And the cross, I think, is our example of that over and over and over again. It's a great example. Like the the they the disciples giving thanks in the midst of that would have seemed completely like it would have been very radical. Well, at least we got three years with him. Right. Like yeah, you like, don't that's yeah, not what they're that doing. In no, that, that is not that is not comforting or anything. No. Um, but you see what God brings through that. So sometimes our, our Actually, and so this would be a good, like, at least for me, a final final point to that whole giving things. Because I think this is such a simple but complex thing to master in the Christian life or to try to grow in. Um, but like, it's important to understand that sometimes your thanks is um, it's nameless in the sense of this. Like I've had people say, well, I know... I know God will bring good things and I, I will thank him for those. I just haven't seen them yet. And I get that. Yes. Like there's a lot of suffering situations where you cannot yet see what God is bringing out. Some of the, some of our suffering is temporary. It's very quick. And then you very quickly see, Oh, I'm so glad I went through that because of this, but other things won't be revealed until eternity. And so our thanks, giving thanks in all circumstances is like you said, it's worship of God. And so I don't have to see how the circumstances are going to work themselves out. I'm more, my concern is the character and the nature of the one who's giving the circumstances. So if you are in those situations and you're saying, I don't know how to give thanks in this circumstance, focus on God. Like you're giving, what you're doing is giving thanks that God is who he says he is and that you are who he says you are in light of what Jesus has done. That's ultimately, that's in that, and that's giving thanks. So Paul would not, um, reprimand you because like your situation with your mom, mm-hmm. like, you know, you, your worship and your giving thanks to God is more about God's character than it is about the circumstances. The circumstances are painful and consistently painful. And yes. there's very few silver linings 
in them at all. And, and so that's not, that's not where your whole, that's not the motivation of your Thanksgiving through this. And I think, I just, I hope that that's helpful because I think we sometimes then when we're saying like, well, I have to give thanks, then we think like we are in our own strength supposed to give thanks for the cancer. And like, that's not in us. We don't have the the ability to thank God for cancer, or to thank God for mental illness or to thank God for um, broken relationships. But we can thank God in the midst of all of those because of who he is and that he has all of it and he's working all things together for good. Yeah. He hasn't abandoned us in that. And, you know, for me, those moments, like, especially with family and when family is going through health issues and pain, it's in those moments that you realize I cannot in my own human capacities, my own independence of God, I will never give thanks in those circumstances. Never. And being able to feel that is actually a really good thing. Because then that's how we learn how to walk in the spirit in a new way. Like even that sense that I just don't even think I can do that. It's like your four minute mile. Yeah. Actually, it's a really good thing to know that you cannot do that. Right. But the promise is, and this is where faith and worship comes in. The promise is you are not doing it on your own strength and in your own strength. You are doing it with a new power. You're doing it in dependence. You're limping really hard and leaning on him. That's, that's how you do it. And so when we have those moments, maybe it's conviction or even a feeling of guilt, I think turning it on its head of saying, God, thank you even for reminding me I can't do this in my own strength. I have to do this relying on you. Help me to rely on you. Like I ask God, would you help me to do the thing that I don't know how to do yet? Teach me. Teach me how to give thanks in this circumstance. That's another way of Mm -hmm. turning it vertical, like back to God and communicating with him about it. Yeah, that's so good. Well, I, uh, I hope this has been helpful for those of you listening. If, um, if you have any questions, please make sure you let us know. You can email us at connect at faithpeshtigo.com um, or talk to us on a Sunday morning. Uh, if there are any questions about this or anytime you have uh, questions or thoughts from a sermon or not, just of how to live this life, um, if, it's, if it would be helpful to you to just have a couple of us like talking through some of these issues, uh, we would we would love to do that. Um, and as always, we just say we were meant to do all of this in community. And so even as we're talking about giving thanks, we were never meant to be able to do that on our own, like not only empowered by the Holy Spirit, but the church is the gift, is the family that God has given us to help us bear one another's burdens and build one another up uh, in this. So I just want to encourage you wherever you are to get um, invested in the life of the local church uh, where you can be an encouragement and be encouraged uh, as we follow Jesus. Thanks again. And until next time, grace and peace. Mm -hmm.